Hi, and welcome to the Daring to Leap podcast. I'm your host, Lori Phillip. I'm so excited to dive into this week's episode with you. Are you feeling overwhelmed and burned out in your career? Struggling to advocate for yourself? This week, we are speaking to Nilu Kaur, a wellness and burnout management expert. In this episode, you'll learn how to recognize and address burnout symptoms early, improve your self-advocacy skills, and be inspired by Nilu's story of resilience in her career after she faced being downsized over and over. Let's dive in. Nilu Kaur is a certified NLP master practitioner and coach from the NLP Center of New York. She has 15 years of experience specializing in adult learning and leadership development in financial services, consulting, and the tech industry. She focuses on leadership, mindfulness, and burnout management for individuals, teams, and organizations. Nilu recently published her first book, Be Your Own Cheerleader, which focuses on self-advocacy for Asian and South Asian women. Welcome to the podcast, Nilu. Thanks, Lori. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you on today. And I know it's been a while since we chatted, but um, I'm so interested to really hear about your journey and the main topic we're speaking on today of burnout. But let's just get started with your story. Tell me a bit about what you were doing before and how that shifted for you. Yes. So if anyone needs to learn how to get fired or downsized, they should come to me because I have been fired and downsized. So many times I've lost track of that. And so really what happened for me is my last full-time job was around 2013. I worked at a large financial services company where I was training and coaching technologists. And so when I got downsized, I decided to leap and take take a risk and really take a risk on myself. And what that meant for me was figuring out how I was going to be my own boss and solopreneur. And so since then, so it's almost been 10 years now and time flies, there's lots of ups and downs with it. But yes, that was sort of the turning point for me to decide that I no longer wanted anyone to tell me that they don't, they don't want me, they don't value me, they don't value my thinking and the way I, and so that was really the impetus for me to leave. That is so interesting because you, you said you were kind of taking a risk on yourself and, and going for it. And What I think what's interesting to hear, especially right now in today's day and age where there is so much downsizing, right? And so historically, we had thought, okay, you have this amazing career and you feel this sort of safety and security around it. And the risk is positioning yourself to go do something else, like whatever that is, maybe something new, maybe something on your own, maybe something completely different than your expertise. And at the end of the day, that sort of security and safety is not common anymore. Is that kind of how you experienced it? Absolutely. In fact, I always felt when I did have a job, and this is just my own personal experience, Mm -hmm. I always felt unsafe because before I was downsized in that last position, there was about two years of hearing about potential downsizings. And so I just kept moving through each round of them. So literally every day it was like, when is the shoe going to drop, right? Like it was this fear built in daily that I'm going to lose my job and I need to start thinking beyond this job anyway. So the fear was embedded throughout most of the time that I was in that role. And I was in that role for three years. So Mm -hmm. imagine two years of those three years was there was fear every day that I'm going to lose my job. And I also experienced that 
in other roles in consulting and other types of jobs that I had prior to grad school. So it was I for, for me, I always felt like I was at risk of losing my job. Mm hmm. So then you decided, OK, I'm going to take this career into my own hands and figure this out. What was it for you that made you feel confident, let go of whatever was holding you back to go ahead and do that instead of going back in and finding another role? Well, for me at that point, as I mentioned, like it was my third, fourth or fifth, let, like either getting <laughs> fired or downsized. So I was really like, if I just keep continuing this, it's, it's the definition of insanity, right? Like doing the same right. thing and expecting different results. So I thought, okay, let me try to figure this out. And it wasn't easy. So I, I did many permutations and combinations of different offerings and services. It was not a linear path. And so I know many of your listeners, whether they're in internal roles or they're thinking about going externally, for me, it was never a linear path. And many of the women I've coached, it's never really a linear path. You sort of like learn along the way and, the, and trust the universe that you're going in the right direction. Yes, I resonate with that so much. I'm still on the early stages of my path and I can already see like where I'm going now versus where I thought I'd be going when I stepped out for sure is different. And it's it's definitely one step at a time. That's for sure. Yes, absolutely. I, I want to talk a bit about, um, you know, the focus of our conversation today is about burnout and mental health. Tell me a bit about why that topic is so important to you. Is that something that you experienced personally in your career? Yes, actually before my career. So as a teenager, I used to experience debilitating panic attacks. And mm -hmm. I'm, my family's from India. I was born in India, raised in the U.S. And mental health was something that we were just not comfortable or even brought to the surface. No one had words or definitions around panic attacks or anxiety or depression. We just couldn't talk about it openly. So I would literally suffer in silence. And then as I got into sort of my early adult life, I, I started just getting very curious about modes of healing that would help me. I saw my mom struggle for so many years and still struggles with sort of challenges around anxiety. And so I was determined to figure out modes of healing that would help me. And, and one of the things I learned is that it's not a one pill that can make you happy or one pill that mm -hmm. fixes everything. It's really a cocktail of things. And so for me, it was this exploration into a cocktail of remedies that would help me. And that's really where I started. And I notice now that even when you're a teenager, you can experience burnout. You can experience burnout from studying or taking tests, right? Like there's different types of burnout that I've experienced throughout my life. And I think now I just have the vocabulary to talk about it, about my experience. And also now I've helped so many people talk about it and bring it to the surface because what burnout looks like for me may be very different than what it looked like for you. Let's talk a bit about that definition of burnout and what you've seen, how it is expressed differently with different people. What are some typical symptoms or clues that people can start to notice to recognize if they're burnt out? I mean, obviously, my visual of somebody in burnout is just like pure exhaustion, you know, like overwhelmed, stressed, that kind of thing. What, what are you seeing out there with your clients? I mean, you hit it right on the head. It's, it's overwhelmed when you have so much that you can't move and you're sort of paralyzed. That's one sort of symptom where it's like you have so much, so many tasks and you just can't get, begin. The other, the other sign of burnout is starting a lot of things and not finishing them. 
right? Like you're starting, you're, you're starting a project, you're super excited. And then you just have so many of those going on and then you get overwhelmed because you've started so many things and it's hard to complete, right? Like those mm-hmm. are, those are some common things that happen. We're really excited about things. We take them on. And then before you know it, we've piled our plate with so many things that we don't know what to do. The other thing that I've noticed for myself and for many of the people I've coached is at Sunday night, there's this sense of despair. And if it just happens like one or two or three weeks, okay, it's like, it's not chronic. But if it's sort of this chronic Sunday night scaries, then you know that there's something that needs to change. Otherwise, you're just going to keep feeling that every Sunday you're going to dread that next week coming up. So those are some basic signs. I, I've also noticed some people just start to feel like they can't, they're physically, it manifests physically. So they can't move. They can't, they'll just lay on the couch and they, they just can't get off of the couch. I mean, that's sort of an extreme of burnout, mm-hmm. but it takes many forms with many different types of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause when we think about burnout, I think of the extreme mm-hmm. and I'm curious on it's obviously a spectrum and you can kind of start somewhere. And if you don't do something about it, it's likely going to start to move up and move up and move up to the extreme side. Some of those early symptoms, I mean, how do we know that it's time to actually shift without waiting till we're completely exhausted and stressed and our body's freaking out? Because that is those are quite a few people I've talked about left their careers because they were so overwhelmed. Their body was like breaking out in hives or they couldn't eat anymore or whatever it was. It, it got to such an extreme point. And I'd love to have people start to notice these things sooner. I think it starts with the dialogue, the internal dialogue, the self-talk, right? So you're thinking about your Monday, you're thinking about your week. What's actually going on in your head? Are you asking, what types of questions are you asking yourself? So usually when, when people are working with me or I'm, I'm facilitating workshops with groups, one of the common themes that comes up is sort of the inner dialogue is around dread. It's around feeling unfocused, not fulfilling their mm-hmm. purpose, do, being in a job that they're not fulfilled in, right? If you're constantly in this job that just doesn't give you joy, it is going to do something to you. We just don't know what that mm-hmm. something is. It can sort of wear away at your soul. And so that can let lead to burnout. So there's just different forms that happen. But many of the times it starts with your dialogue. What are you saying to yourself about your job, your career, your business, whatever you're involved in? Yeah, that is a great place to start because that inner dialogue never leaves us. So it's not like you shut down your computer or you leave for the day and you can just shut it off because it comes home with you and it's in your head, right? (laughs) So... Yeah, it's with you everywhere you go. So and when <laughs> I think about, okay, say I'm starting to see some of these signs. I'm experiencing dread. I'm worried on Sunday about the week. I'm kind of overwhelmed not all the time, but, you know, I'm noticing I'm not getting things done because I'm procrastinating. I'm putting it off. I'm just exhausted a bit. What, what are some of the things we can do to address burnout? And I'm curious about this, too, because sometimes we think about only external, like I need to change jobs. I need a new assignment. I need to take this or that off my plate. And I'm curious about both internal and external things we can do, because at least I noticed for myself that it, it it's often both. 
And just like you were saying, the inner dialogue is internal. It's not that somebody's calling you every five minutes. It's your head that's talking to you every five minutes. Yeah. One of the things that I think is so important are routines. And much of the work that I teach and facilitate and even speak on is through the lens of Ayurveda, which is a holistic healing system based in India. It's 5,000 years old. And one of the premises of Ayurveda is to have routines in your life. So morning routines that set you, set you up for success during the day, and then evening routines that let you sort of have restorative sleep. So we want to start with just some basic things. And, you know, these days you can get burned out just by looking at all of the research on burnout. Like there's so many things you can <laughs> yeah. do. So it's right. like, I'm here to offer two or three things. Start with those small things, small, simple steps and see how you are. So for example, one of the things that I always tell all of my participants in my workshops and people I coach is start your morning, ideally an hour without your device. Because what happens is your brain, you are training your brain to be reactive and distracted all day long. If you wake up, you reach for your phone and you're responding to things you're posting, you're commenting. And so most people will say, I can't do an hour. An hour is just too much. Then I say, try 30 minutes. And in that 30 minutes, soothe, soothe yourself. Start your day in a calming way. Could be drinking some coffee, drinking tea, whatever you need, meditating, gratitude, whatever it is that allows you to sort of set yourself up to be in a more balanced state. Because oftentimes the overwhelm that happens during the day is because we've been jarred out of bed. We have these alarm clocks that are alarming our nervous system. And so we're jumping out of bed and then we're just, it's like robots. We're robots every day of our life. And so that is a recipe for burnout. So these simple strategies that Ayurveda provides are so simple and yet hard to incorporate because our life is so glued to our devices. Yeah, that is a really good one. And I, I think you answered my question, but I was thinking about what if we feel stressed that we're not checking our phone? That probably takes a while because until you realize that nothing went wrong when you didn't check your phone first thing in the morning and there's on the other side the benefits. I mean, I think most of us who are not like ER doctors, life will just, I mean, ER doctors need to be connected to their devices. Yeah. There's a life-threatening emergency, right? But for those of us that, I mean, 30 minutes is not that much time to just sort of allow yourself to just reset, start your day out. And also most people that say they can't be without their phone for 30 minutes need to be without their phone for three hours. <laughs> like they're so connected. To their phones that it's it becomes a problem it's just you're constantly challenging your mind right like imagine the burnout when you are so distracted and you can't focus on your tasks because you're on tiktok or you're on instagram which i am guilty of right but the thing is we want to start to think about and another strategy is to time box our social media so we can get into this scrolling sort of doom scrolling where we're just comparing ourselves to other people we're looking at other people's lives oh this person has the best job and my job sucks, and now I'm burned out because I want their life, right? There's so much of that scrolling going on. So really time boxing your social media consumption is probably another step that you can take to alleviate burnout. Yeah, that, that, that one I had not considered in connection with burnout. But I could see where when I think about burnout, there is a piece where this concept of time and not having enough time to get everything we need to get done in a given day, and that starts to add up and get stressful. And so when we're looking at 
what are the time sucks in our day that are completely not supportive, right? And if if so if you don't feel that great after you've been scrolling on social media for an hour and now you're behind, I could see where that is not useful. And not only are you behind, but let's say you're the time element, right? Like you're looking at someone else. Perhaps this person you're looking at, you're, st- you're cyber stalking them, right? Like you're going through their profile. You're looking at their pictures. Let's say they're around the same age as you are. They have a big home. They have these beautiful cars. And you're like, wait, I need to catch up. I'm behind, right? So the burnout is, oh, no, I'm not at the right place in my career at this stage. This person is my colleague from grad school or we know each other from years ago. So this time element can also be part of the way we look at the lives of other people on social media. I've not, I've not caught up to that person. I'm behind. And then that makes you feel like you are behind. And then you, go, then you stop looking at your phone and then you go to work or you go back on your computer and then you can't focus because your brain mm-hmm. is just, it's this downward spiral of negative self-talk about how you suck, how you've, you've not been able to keep up right? Like you're not at the right place for where you need to be at your at this stage of your life. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the negative self-talk is what can create that downward spiral. And that actually piles up and that will impact your productivity, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so for your clients that come in with this negative self-talk, what, what do you suggest to them as a way to s- sort of work on that for themselves? Well, a lot of the work that I do with my clients is based on NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, which is essentially how we speak to ourselves and how we speak to others. So the idea is that to become master communicators, we, we don't expect people to meet us at our bus stop. We meet them at their bus stop. But it starts with your own self-talk. And so one of the strategies is the types of questions that you ask yourself. So there's two types of questions. There are problem-framed questions, and then there's outcome-framed questions. So problem frame questions are like, why do I suck? Why am I terrible at my job? Why is my colleague not helping me in the meeting? Right? Like those are very blame, accusatory, problem-focused questions versus outcome frame questions are, who can I reach out to for support? What other resources can I, can I access? Who else can I speak to? Much more outcome-framed, much more compassionate. And you're still trying to get at the same you're still trying to solve the same problem, which is you may not feel like you're skilled to do the job or you're not skilled to do this task. But the way in which you ask those questions of yourself can really impact the next actions that you take. Mm. And is that something I'm assuming we just learn through repetition on where our instinct is to think about that positive angle of the question? Because our minds our brains are on autopilot. And if we've been negatively asking ourselves these questions for our whole lives, just thinking, okay, I need to start changing this now. And then you might beat yourself up a bit because it won't stop, right? And then you're, the, so is it, it's it's about, I guess it goes back to habits, right, Nilu? Like yeah. just get, catching yourself and and sort of without judgment, almost like in a mindfulness way reframing it. Yeah. I mean, it's like a muscle, right? The more you practice, like Mm -hmm. we go to the, we go work out every day. We do our yoga practice. We do these things for our well-being. And this is one of the things that we need to actually focus a lot of energy on because you're right. We're sort of hardwired to look at, we could have five things in front of us and one thing goes awry, but four are going really well. 
our brains are hardwired to focus on that one thing. So we have mm-hmm. to always train our brain to sort of be in that sort of outcome place, that outcome frame types of questions that we're asking. So what other, if we're going to, I like this idea of habits because it, it, it puts in place a system in your life where your day-to-day is sort of in such an intentional way that will help you avoid a lot of the, the, the burnout type of things any kind of craziness in your life, you can kind of navigate it a little bit more smoothly. What, what are the other habits that you recommend clients and, and people that are looking to, to put into their day-to-day? I mean, it, it's so simple and yet we don't do it. And it's literally like when we start to feel not well, if we start to feel not happy, it's to ask ourselves, what do I need in this moment? So not waiting till we're triggered, not waiting till we've had an argument with someone at work or with our husbands or our wives or our partners. But if we're just the, use your feelings as a barometer to ask you that question. So every time you start to feel unwell in any way, what do I need in this moment? And usually we are our best teacher and we know what to do. So in that moment, you may say, I need to take a walk outside. I need to take a walk around the block. I need to get off of my screen. So again, it is literally the discipline to the minute you start feeling unwell, ask yourself, what do I need in this moment? And so if you use your feelings as a barometer, it's pretty easy to check in. Yeah. This is something that I started doing for myself in the last couple of years and really wasn't even something I had considered before. It wasn't even an idea in my consciousness to even check in with myself or ask myself, what do I need? But our feelings are so powerful. And if you're feeling a certain way, there's a reason. And when you ignore it, you're sort of ignoring yourself. And from that point, it can just build and build and build. And I had heard this analogy of a story from somebody that kind of illustrates this really. I thought it was powerful. And it was this idea of if you were holding up a glass of water, it would be really easy to hold up for a minute. It wouldn't even feel heavy, right? But if you were to hold that glass of water with your arms stretched out for hours, for days, for weeks, all of a sudden that one glass of water would be so heavy that you couldn't carry it. Your arms would be hurting. And so this is the same thing with feelings is if we don't address them in the moment or soon, it's not like we can catch it every time. They just get heavier and heavier and heavier. And our burden is that, right? And so by releasing it over time, you just, it's lighter. It's easier to deal with. One of the things that I just thought of when you were saying this was we create these to-do lists all of the time, right? I don't know about you, but I live by my to-do list. And I actually get a like a hit of dopamine when I cross something off. I am so happy that I got something off of my plate. So if in the moment something's happened, you're in a conversation with your coworker or your partner and you're feeling unsettled, sometimes why not just add that to your to-do list? And that way you always check in with yourself to say why. Dig a little deeper because again, like you said, it is an avalanche. It will come back tenfold if it's not sort of taken care of. So I've started to actually do that. And I forgot that I was doing that until you gave me that analogy is that If something's happened during the day and I don't feel like I have the time to really deconstruct it and really analyze it, I will just write it down and and just remember the context. Otherwise, I will forget. 
and then ask myself, like, what was going on? Why did you feel that way? What brought about those feelings so that I handle it and it's not going to multiply Mm -hmm. and exponentially get bigger and bigger as the days go by? Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that previously either. And that's a great idea to put on your list. I I love to-do lists too. And I used to be that person who would write something I just did on my list so that I could cross it off. I still do that. So yes, I just that? love, I love, I that. I love that the feeling. Today. Yeah. Well, it's also goes to being your own cheerleader, which is celebrating small successes. I talk about that in my book. It's that if that gives you a small hit of dopamine that you completed a task, why not do it? And so I think it's great to do that because again, in that moment, I feel, okay, I didn't get to do X, Y, Z, but I did this thing and I'm going to go ahead and celebrate whatever that looks like. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of celebrating your wins and something that I've been making a habit of for just actually a month or so. I've been making a habit of it, writing it down every day. And I found it to be very useful especially the really tiny ones, because those are the ones that we don't give ourselves enough credit for. But they add up and we are doing so much. I bet people would be surprised if they wrote down all of the things that they got done in a given day. It, it, it really is a lot, especially if you're a mom and, and a professional and a friend and you start to add up all these roles we play and you can certainly see all of the amazing things that we accomplish every day. Absolutely. I think one of the things that we forget is that sometimes just checking the mailbox and going through some bills and you get through those bills and it's just so a part of our lives or you're in your inbox and in your email and you get bills and you pay them online. I mean, those are even the, you have the moment to celebrate that you just completed that. And I think some of the things we do, these micro moments, which I talk mm -hmm. about in Be Your Own Cheerleader, we, we, we're so robotic and we're so used to doing them, but we don't even think that we can give ourselves a pat on the back for these micro moments or these micro resilient moments. But so it's not just celebrating these big successes, like completing a degree or getting certifications. It's actually thinking about our daily micro successes that we have mm -hmm. that we just overlook because they are so small. Yes. Well, let's talk a bit about self-advocacy. You mentioned your book, and I know it's a, a strong message and the theme of what you like to talk about. Tell me why self-advocacy is so important and what we can start to do to advocate for ourselves more. I mean, for me personally, one of the reasons why it's such a, it's such a big topic is because it was not behavior that was modeled to me growing up. So I'm from India. My parents are from India. We came to the U.S. and we come from Asian cultures are very collective and they're very we-based and American culture is very I-based. And so what happens is when you are taught to just keep your head down, it's all about group harmony. That is a recipe for disaster in corporate America. In corporate America, you're supposed to toot your own horn and talk about your accomplishments. And that is actually one of the reasons I think I kept getting fired and kept getting downsized, kept getting my ideas taken and in the workplace was because I didn't know how to self-advocate. So for me personally, it's, it's a very salient topic. And then over the years, I have coached so many women, Asian, South Asians, but also very introverted people or neurodivergent people and not just women, men too. I was actually shocked that there are people out there that are tall white men that have ch challenges self-advocating. I just, I had a bias that it was easy for them. And there are some people who are introverts and they don't feel comfortable talking about their accomplishments or raising their hand and saying, actually, no, that was my idea. 
And so self-advocacy, I realized it wasn't just something I struggled with over the course of the years in my coaching practice. I realized there are so many people that struggle with self-advocacy. Yes, yes. And I, I'm starting to think it's actually a broader issue than I used to think it was. Because the more and more I talk about this, about being able to not only celebrate your own accomplishments, but speak them and talk about the things that you're doing, even even if we get down to just the facts of it, like I have a podcast, great job. It's not that I'm making up this big bloated statement about, oh, I'm reaching millions of people, whatever it is. It's just give yourself the credit and be able to speak it. And I, I, I also struggle with this. I continue to struggle with this. So I'm very curious, Milu. Tell me, tell me, what are some of the things that you talk about maybe in your book or with your clients on strategies for, for self-advocacy, especially for somebody that's not comfortable with it? One of the things that I've noticed is that many women say that they don't feel they can be authentic if they are self-promoting because that's just not their personality. It's not something mm-hmm. they feel comfortable with, viscerally uncomfortable. So I say it's, so in my book, I talk about the we collective culture and the I individual culture and sort of this dial, like the speedometer in a car where, and women in general are very we-based where it's about taking care of others. It's about group harmony. And so one of the things I say is think of it as a dial. So you are authentically you. And if you are in a group brainstorm or a group deliverable, you're in a project, you're working with people, that's when you want to turn up your we. And then you talk about your shared deliverables. You use we-based language. And then if you're in a performance review conversation where it's all about your accomplishments, your credentials, that's where it's where you want to turn the I dial. So you still are you, you're still Lori, but you're just contextually shifting based on who's in front of you. And I think that sort of analogy helps women feel like they can be authentically them, but think of this dial and know that based on the context that they're in or who's standing or sitting in front of them, they can adjust the dial. Because it it is so true that if you're on a team, a bigger team, and you're working on something together, there is so much that we individually do and contribute that we can authentically talk about in our own way. And it's almost it goes back to to habits and kind of getting comfortable with that and practicing it. And in, in actually in one of the chapters in my book, I think it's chapter five, interruption shield. So these are words or phrases that we start to use to interrupt when we need to get our point across or when we need to bring attention to the fact that it was our idea. And so based on your context, right, like if you're in a very formal situation, a formal industry, you might say, may I interject here? Can we circle back to, right? So you want to start thinking about these phrases. And again, again, it's like a muscle. So it's using this muscle. The more and more you practice these shields or these interruption shields, the more practice you're going to get interjecting when you need to. Because oftentimes when, let's say you're on a Zoom or Microsoft Teams meeting and there's 20 people and you said something and then a person after you or two people after you took your idea, you want to be able to interject and make sure that your idea was heard and that you get credit for it. So even though there's a we, there's a group, there's still the I, right? Like you still had the idea or you still had the deliverable. And so it's really important that you bring attention to it. And if in that, not in that moment, then that you do that at some point. Yeah, that's an interesting example 
Because I think if I would to step into that example and that were to happen to me, obviously I would want to have credit for my idea, but I would feel like by stepping in to say, hey, wait a minute, I guess you wouldn't say that was my idea, but you might bring it back up and say, I'm glad you brought up that idea that I had mentioned. Here are some already other ways I had thought about tackling it or something like that. Where you're you're adding to it because it was your idea. You had thought about it previously or you had a reason for it without feeling like you're just being like, hey, that was my idea. Right. Like the way you did it was very tactful, right? Like you're bringing up that it was yours, but you're adding on to it. So it's like the improv of yes and. So you're just circling Mm -hmm. back to yes, that was, I mentioned this earlier and I have extra things to say or I have to add on X, Y, Z. So that just sort of anchors in that it was Lori that came up with that idea. And everyone around you knows that it's Lori. Yeah, I'm feeling good about my idea. Yes, exactly. So these interruption shields, again, just like those morning routines, those evening routines, it is discipline. Practice one or two things and you'll notice that the more you do it, the more comfortable it'll feel. It'll feel less viscerally uncomfortable to interrupt a group if you're using those interruption shields. That's so great. I think where I want to close out on our conversation today is just to kind of talk about bringing in self-advocacy as it's related to burnout or any kind of mental health issues you might be experiencing. Let's bring these two topics together and talk about a bit how a person might be able to self-advocate for themselves when they're feeling burnt out or overwhelmed or quite a bit off than usual. Right. Like self-advocacy is not just about advocating for yourself in performance review conversations. It's really about asking for help. So right now in the current situation that we're in, there have been many companies that have downsized. And so some people are bearing the weight of two or three roles and it's on one Mm. person to do all of this work. And that again is a recipe for burnout. So in that instance, self-advocacy looks like asking for help, talking to your manager, sharing your concerns, asking for other resources. So self-advocacy can absolutely lead you down a path of avoiding burnout if you sort of take take that moment and really advocate for yourself and what you need. Mm. And there's many other instances where we can self-advocate, not just in a performance review conversation, but asking for help. So if we're at home and we're caretakers, we're taking care of children or elderly parents and we need more support, it's like talking to your partner about additional support. So how we are in one situation is how we are in other situations. So wherever we can practice self-advocacy is where I say, let's start. If you can start at home, it might become easier to do it at work. If it's easier to do it at work, try doing it at home, right? So let's become self-advocates and our own cheerleaders in all of the situations and contexts that we're in. Yes, I, it's so important. And I love this idea about self-advocacy, not just in a promotional sense, but in a what do I need? and and actually asking for it in the moment and not waiting till somebody asks or like you mentioned, the performance review might be, it could be a place, but if it's scheduled two months away, right? It, there's got to be a, an opportunity sooner to, to bring these things up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, so practice wherever you can practice is where I would say will help you be your own cheerleader. That's great, Nilu. Do you have any last closing thoughts or ideas to share with our audience today on burnout or self-advocacy? I would say 
there's so many things out there. You can read, you can listen to podcasts, you can consume so much information. Just pick one or two small things and just do those every day consistently and see what, what works for you. Because what works for you may not work for me. And we all have to create our own cocktail of remedies that help us be our best selves every day. Thank you for that. And our audience, where can they find you, learn more about your work, connect with you online? Yes. So my website, neelacore.com. And I'm on LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn, on Instagram. Also, you can find Be Your Own Cheerleader anywhere. You can find books, Amazon, Goodreads, Barnes and Nobles, all of those places. I know. I was actually kind of funny. It's I, I will drive by a Barnes and Noble and be like, oh, there's still bookstores, exactly. like physical bookstores. Yeah. Oh. And they're popping up. The mom and pop book stores are popping up in New York City, which is I'm so excited about that. That's great. That's really great. Actually, I'm I've been using the library recently, so I'm oh, like way that. old school. Yeah. Way old. No, I love that. I love that. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time, your insights, and just being a bit vulnerable about your your shift out of your career. I really appreciate it. I had a really great conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, I would love for you to subscribe. If you're already a subscriber, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend. Hope you all have an amazing week. Until next time. Bye.